And some people, some people are super envious and would love to do what I've done. But, you know, it's not, you can't look at other people's lives and think, you know, I wish I was doing that or, or they're doing the wrong thing or whatever. It's just look at yourself, think, forget everyone else. What um, is what I'm doing making me happy? And if the answer is yes, great, keep on doing it. If the answer is no, then change it and do something else. Try something. Try something different. I mean, that's the key, isn't it? Like, you don't know what's going to make you happy until you try it. And if you don't try, you'll never know. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is Puff Puff, known off-trail as Alex Mason. She's been on a four-plus-year adventure, and by the time Jukebox crossed her path on the AT in 2018, she had Nobo hiked the PCT, then went back the following year to Sobo the PCT, jumping from there directly into a thru-hike of the Te Araroa, followed by cycling 81 days across Australia. Not feeling done yet, she then hopped over to Indonesia for another couple months of cycling. Her next big adventure will be rowing across the Atlantic, then Indian Oceans in 2020, supporting research into Parkinson's disease and PTSD. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast places. Get comfortable. Puff Puff and I have a lot to talk about. Hello. Hello, Alex. Hi. Hi. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am super fantastic. Thank you so, so much. Um, I know uh, Jukebox kind of made that, made that connection. Yeah. So thank you to her as well. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> yeah, she's in the middle of the PCT right now. Have you guys talked? Yeah, I'm, yeah we uh, we chat uh, through Instagram quite a lot. I'm very, very envious of them all being out there right now. But um, I don't know if I could push it a third time. <laughs> I think there's other other things I, I wanted to get done. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm so happy for them because I know – how awesome it is but at the same time I'm like oh I wish I was there <laughs> yeah you, you've kind of seen it from both directions at this point yes I have it's kind of crazy because I didn't even think I'd be doing it once let alone twice so uh yeah um it people were always really confused about why I wanted to go back and do it again but it is a completely different experience doing it the the other way around it's quite incredible yeah so uh I can't don't ask me to pick which one I prefer because <laughs> I can't I can't <laughs> they're both amazing in their own individual ways so yeah I did I have to say I did like the desert going south because it was so much cooler it makes it so much nicer and the Sierra had no snow obviously so yeah going south it's um there's a few things that make it pleasant but then also you've got much shorter days so um, yeah, you get a lot of nighttime stopping early or night hiking. So, yeah, swings and roundabouts sometimes. <laughs> Did you get caught by any storms in the Sierras? Because I know that when you're going southbound, that is 
a worry that you could you have to get through the Sierras before the storms start hitting and that kind of thing. Yeah, so uh, there's always a little bit of a fear tornado that kind of evolves on the PCT. And it's the same going north and south, because when you're going north, people are constantly talking about the snow and the Sierra. And I think it's even more so this year from what I can see, because they've had so much snow. And some of the people I've seen that have already gone through, it looks absolutely crazy. The year I did it, 2015, when I went north, there wasn't very much snow at all. Um, And although there was some snow, uh, when you get to places like Forester Pass, where you see that kind of chute that goes down, I mean, we were able to walk across it fairly easily. But this is like proper winter mountaineering, which is quite scary. But then, yeah, going south, you equally get that everyone's just talking about the snow all the time. Like, are you going to beat the snow? So going north is like, will the snow have melted? And going south is like, will you beat the snow? So it's just constant snow talk. And you do kind of get like in this big whirlwind of like, oh, my God, I need to go faster. I need to like make it. But um, in reality, you know, most people spend about five months on the trail. And to get through the Sierra takes a couple of weeks. So although it is it's a big highlight for most people and it, it you know it's incredibly beautiful and is one of like the highlights of the trail it is only two weeks out of a, <laughs> a five month journey so you kind of have to remind people like if you really can't get through it if you have to go around it if you have to come back to it it doesn't matter you know keep yourself safe and still enjoy it as well because actually slogging through the snow sometimes can't is not that enjoyable so yeah, in regards to your question, um, the storms, I didn't, I was really lucky. So we got to, there was all this fear about, you know, you need to get to the end of the Sierra by the third week of October, definitely like by Halloween kind of time, because also Kennedy Meadows shut down and all that kind of stuff. So as we entered the Sierra, we went over the first pass, which I think is Island Pass. And there was there was snow, basically a snow. Well, I'm not going to call it a storm because it wasn't a storm, but a bit of snow fell. Mm-hmm. And we thought, <laughs> a wee bit. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was just a bit, yeah. And we thought, uh oh, this is our luck. Is it like run out? We've had such a great time. You know, we're going to have to bail. We had like emergency exit plans and all that kind of stuff. But after that, that one pass where it was, and the night was so cold. Oh my goodness, like our water froze solid. Um, and we thought, oh, okay, you know, we're just going to have to get out of here. Uh, after that, we had blue skies for like 10 days straight, just clear blue skies. It was beautiful weather. It was incredible. It was so perfect. Um, yeah, we managed to get through without any problems. And I think about three days after we made it down to Kennedy Meadows, the snowstorm started. So, <laughs> yeah, feeling very lucky that we got through it all right. Yeah, yeah. What? What did you guys do when you did get hit by that storm and you were so cold? And I mean, the water froze, so that's not yeah. anything to, to sneeze at. You know, how did you guys keep No, warm? not at all. Um, well, I had just everything I owned on. Um, I had my bag done up around, like, around my head. Because I use a Z-Pax bag, it doesn't have a hood. So I was just like, had this tiny little hole at the top um my feet were just like ice cubes all night I was worried about my soya filter freezing I had that in my bag with me um and you just have to uh just just try and keep warm so I was okay it's just my feet were like ice cubes and I wasn't particularly relishing the thought of it being like that the whole way through 
Yeah. I think if it had been much colder, we would have had to reassess our gear and have got like some warmer layers. But I had my down jacket and um, my sleep clothes. I wear long sleep clothes because I don't like the feel of the mat on my skin. So I always wear long sleep clothes, even if it's like super hot and they're like sweating away in my long sleep clothes. And, you know, put all like both pairs of socks you're carrying on um, and just, yeah, just try. If it gets really, really cold, um, and you know, because that was a bit of a freak kind of night, we didn't realize it was going to be that cold. But if you're prepared for it, generally, I would uh, boil some water in my jet boil and put it in a bottle and put that at the bottom of my sleeping bag, which would keep my feet warm. And then once you because when you get cold feet, it's really hard for like the rest of your body to warm up, yeah. I find. So if you've got your warm feet, then it's generally easier to, to keep warm. So it always... Yeah, I always carry a stove when it's cold, just so I can kind of have some hot water at night. Now, and you were with one other person at least, or a couple people? Yeah, I was with one other person. So I was hiking with a lady called Catwater, who is one of the best people I in my life. <laughs> she <laughs> is um, She's from Alaska. Uh, she's in her early 60s, and we met going northbound. But only kind of really briefly, we just crossed over a few times. Uh, but we decided to start the trail southbound together. And we both decided we wanted to hike it again. We had that call to kind of come back. And we started off in Washington. And we hiked for um, about a week together. And then she had already done parts of Oregon. So the plan was that I was going to speed up while she hiked with her friend and her husband. And I would go quicker and meet her in Northern California somewhere. So she enjoyed a nice leisurely experience down <laughs> through through Washington. And then I went to Oregon in two weeks, which was quite tough. But all like a nice challenge for, for me, I think, because I knew, unlike last time, unlike going northbound, I knew what I was letting myself in for. So I kind of knew yeah. that I should be able to do it. And then, yeah, we met back up in Northern California around Mount Shasta and we hiked the rest of the trail together, which was so cool. Uh, so we went into the Sierra together and there was one point we didn't see anyone else for four days. The only people we saw were each other, which was it was quite special, actually. Um, so, yeah, it was, I was expecting a lot more people to be out there, especially like JMTers and stuff. But obviously people think October, it's the weather's coming in. And yeah, yeah. So, but yeah it's a much just, just me and her. Quieter experience going south. Definitely. Yeah, just in general. So once you've passed everyone, so Washington and Oregon, you're passing a lot of northbounders. Uh, and they're always quite surprised when you tell them how many people you've seen that day. They're like, no, there's not that many people like I'm out here by myself. Like, no, there's like 70 people in front of you just today. They can't, you know, it doesn't make much sense to them because everyone's moving along at like a similar speed. You feel like mm -hmm. you're out there alone. Um, but yeah, once you've passed everyone, California is pretty quiet, actually. Yeah. yeah. So it's nice to have a hiking partner when you're going south. So, but we met a few other southbounders and they were all having a good time. So. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you guys hit the storm, did you guys think about connecting the sleeping bags together and kind of trying to get the the double body heat together to just try to stay warm or... Um, I we prob well if it had come to it we probably would have done that um, if you know we felt we had to I don't think it was that bad, that bad at that point I think maybe if we would 
we've got to that point we would have of course you know survival kind of instincts kicked mm-hmm. in but we were prepared enough to not have to do that so we we had layers of clothes we had decent sleeping bags we had good mats that you know um were thick enough to kind of provide insulation um yeah so we we, we definitely weren't anywhere near that that kind of crisis point yet right. and you know we we could have we could have made a fire well probably not at the altitude we were at actually but you know there were there were things we could have done but luckily right. we, we didn't need to do any of that it was cold but it wasn't dangerously cold exactly yeah it was, there was definitely nothing life-threatening about it it was just yeah. it was just cold but we yeah uncomfortable. exactly <laughs> it was uncomfortable yeah but you know you if you go in there prepared you're all right so right yeah how did you hear about the pct because that was to kind of give the people who will be listening to this episode an idea, you've been on an adventure tear for the last, what, three years, four years? Yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of four years now. So um, what happened was I was working as a graphic designer in London and I was getting a little bored of what I was doing. Uh, it was getting a bit kind of stale. The work was quite like samey. Um, I didn't enjoy my commute in the mornings, getting on the train, like that routine of getting on the train and no one's speaking to you and you're sitting in the same seat. You know, it's just, why am I doing this? And I kind of had an, I've been in the past, I've done, I guess you could call it some adventurous things. I spent six months in Africa and I went to Everest Base Camp and those sorts of things. But you come home and you think you go on this path where you you think you should be following you concentrate on your career you get a house you you know do all that kind of stuff and I was just getting restless and I saw this post on Facebook actually about this thing called the Pacific Crest Trail and I just clicked on it oh what's that that's interesting and it kind of all consumed me I just kept researching more and more looking into it and I was like this is crazy you can walk across a country you can walk across a country that is as big as America and there's a path that you can actually just follow a path. You don't have to like, you know, make your own way. You can follow a trail. I just, I was amazed, like mind blown by the whole thing. And considering it's been around for like way longer than I've been alive. And I only just heard of it in 2015. So, and it, it's so popular now. And I don't know whether that's just because I'm in that world of people knowing it, that I find, I think everybody knows about it because I guess not everybody does you know know about it but it feels like everyone I know knows about it (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah I just it just wouldn't go away the idea just stuck in my head and I first of all thought well I can't do that I can't take the time off I can't just leave my job I've got a house you know what am I going to do with that responsibilities bills to pay and I just thought physically as well I was like well you know that's for people that are are really fit athletes and stuff and I, the more I looked into it, the more I thought, well, well, maybe I could do this, or maybe at least I could give it a go at the very least. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was about a year from finding out about the trail to starting it. So, yeah, found about it out about it April 2014, and was on the trail April 2015. So it was definitely all-consuming. So I feel like the trail was actually longer. The experience was longer than just being on it, because the whole lead up to it is part of the experience, the excitement about going, the researching the kit, the, you know, researching where you're, where you're going to go, um, like finding out how to get there, finding trail angels, all this type of stuff is also new. 
that it feels like the whole experience is just way longer than the five months you're out there so yeah when you finish it feels it's not like you've just had this five months experience that you're kind of ending it's almost like a year and a half worth of experience that has come to an end so when it finally when you finally reach manning state park and yeah exactly so you know it's just such a long time that you've been thinking and planning and preparing and dreaming and you know about all this kind of stuff and you i think people kind of forget that that your experience has been so much more than just that period of time that you're on the trail you're right i mean very few people there have been a few mind you but very few people just suddenly get a bug up their butt to go and hike or walk the Pacific Crest Trail, or any of the trails for that matter. But yeah, there's a process to it. There is, yeah, definitely. Yeah, some I think there was a couple of people. Um, I met one guy on the trail going north who didn't look at anything. He just decided to do it. He didn't want to know what was coming ahead. He didn't want to <laughs> know anything about it. I, I mean, for me, I'm not that type of person. I, I like a bit of a plan. I like to prepare. So that... I, I feel envious in a way because the experience would have been incredible uh, not knowing what you're going into and just being amazed by everything. But I just, my anxiety levels would be like through the roof. Did you do less planning doing southbound because you kind of knew what the trail was ahead of time and you had Absolutely. your kit and that kind yeah. of stuff? Yeah, I did very little planning for um, Southbound. Uh, My planning basically consisted of borrowing a bear canister from a friend in the States to do the the Sierra, planning how I was going to get to um, the Canadian border or to Hearts Pass to walk Mm -hmm. up to the Canadian border. And that was pretty much it. (laughs) I just got, got my flight, went over there, and started walking because like I knew what I was letting myself in for and like you say I had all the kit I maybe upgraded a couple of things but essentially I had everything I needed just to carry on um, and it almost felt like I'd just got to the end and turned around and started walking backwards you know the, the amount of time in between wasn't a lot um, so yeah I didn't really do any planning I had my plan from northbound I knew all the stops I knew the towns I knew the trail angels so yeah, it was it was an easy thing to do, really. Well, if if that was the only thing you did, I would totally agree with you. But I was I was looking at your Instagram, and you basically, and this is mind blowing to me, by the way. But you basically went from the PCT. You finished that in September. Uh, where was it? In November, late November. You basically flipped around within a couple of weeks and started the TA. That's right. And finished that in April of the 17. And then a couple months later, you decided you went cycling across Australia. Yes. And finished that in late August. And then took a little bit of a break and then did the AT. I mean. That's right. Oh, my God. So, yeah, my, my plan when I left England was to hike the PCT southbound and then jump over to New Zealand and do the Te Aroa. Uh, beyond that, I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, and to book my flight to New Zealand, I had to book a flight out of the country. So I thought, well, I'll 
I'm so close to Australia at this point, even though it's still quite far away. It's significantly closer than England is from Australia. So I booked a flight to Sydney thinking I'll finish up in New Zealand. I'll spend a couple of weeks in Sydney in Australia because I've never been. It'll be a nice thing to do. And then I'll probably fly home. Um, but when I got when I hiked in New Zealand, I spent a month or so from reaching the end of the trail. I kind of hitchhiked my way back up to Auckland. Uh, stopping here and there I did a work for stay on a farm and just had a bit of downtime and then I thought well I'm not I'm really not done yet and I looked at hiking trails in Australia and there are a couple um, but it makes you realize how vast Australia is when you start (laughs) looking at hiking and then you compare them to trails you've done and you're like oh that only gets me halfway across the country you're like wow this is this is a big country so I thought, well, I've always wanted to cycle somewhere um, and do some cycle touring. So what better place to start than Australia? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've never really... Yes, I can any- see I that connection. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, c- I can ride a bike. So I thought, you know, I've got a good start. But I've never really cycled anywhere significant. Only kind of, you know, five or so miles here and there. <laughs> Um, so I thought, yeah, I can, I can do 4,000 miles. That's fine. But no, in all seriousness, I thought, well, I'll buy a bike. I won't buy a, like a a really great one. I'll buy, you know, a kind of real starter bike and I'll get some, I set myself a budget of a thousand pounds. Um, so that's in today's money, about $1,300. And, uh, I thought I'll just see what I can get for that. And I'll set off and I'll see how far I get. If I really hate it. There's no reason I have to keep going. I can sell the bike. I can go home. Uh, And I thought, if I like it, I'll just carry on and see how far I get. So, yeah, it took me three months. I went from Sydney and I tried to hug the coast as much as I can. So Sydney to Melbourne to Adelaide and then Adelaide straight up the middle to Darwin. And that was uh, an incredible experience just going through the outback and there just being nothing there. And then I hopped over to Indonesia after I got to Darwin and cycled for two months through Indonesia. And then I came home. Um, so I had about five months in England before I went and went over to the to the AT. So it was all a bit of a kind of I was just like when I got to Indonesia, I was very tired. I'd been on the road for kind of 18 months. I was kind of missing home. I was missing my friends and family. And you go, once a year starts rolling by, you think, okay, I'm missing, I've missed things for a year and now I'm starting to miss things for the second year and it starts to feel a bit, you know, I, I just need some normality and some home time and to see my parents and, and to see my friends and, you know, my friends have had children and things and, you know, it's nice to see them grow up and um, I felt like I was missing out on a lot. So by the time I got to Indonesia, I thought, right, I'm going to spend my two months here and then then go home <laughs> but then you know you start to think right okay I've seen everyone <laughs> now it's time to go away again <laughs> now you're addicted absolutely yeah you said when you got to the end of the the TA you weren't done yet what did that mean for you you just you weren't done pushing yourself or um I guess I was just not ready to go home so I was still really enjoying what I was doing um I was still enjoying being away and I felt good you know I felt fit and healthy and you know able to able to carry on mentally mentally good and yeah I just felt like I wasn't really ready to go home 
And being in that part of the world, you know, New Zealand is such a beautiful country. You know, there are so many more countries I'd like to see that I thought, well, I'm over this way. I might as well kind of carry on and see a little bit more of the world that I want to see. How did your body hold up through all of this? I mean, a lot of people finish one through hike and their feet are killing them, their knees, their hips, their back, their, you know, whatever. Um, and they need to recuperate from it. And you really didn't have any recuperation time. How did your body hold up? Yeah, it was pretty good, actually. Um, I, I know I was, I was tired. Um, but in terms of, like, body and injuries, I think my body held up pretty well. You have you know, the usual aches and pains and sore bits and stuff. But in terms of, like, my feet were fine. I get a few problems with my knees and hips. But they actually were okay. Uh, the biggest problem I think came transitioning from hiking to biking because my thought was you know I've just walked what would it have been about five just over five thousand miles um, I'm pretty fit <laughs> and I kid you, you know pro yeah you'd think but it's a very specific fitness so you're very fit for walking but not really fit for anything else <laughs> and the mu the muscles used to cycle are totally different muscles used to to walk. So I sat on the bike and I thought, oh, this is quite difficult. And obviously, you know, sitting down all day on your bum on a saddle mm -hmm. as well is is quite a challenge. And I found that actually really hard because my bum was so sore. Oh my goodness. Yep. I did actually think I can't do this. <laughs> my bum hurts too much. And there was a point where I was like about a week into the trip, I was just getting off my bike every five kilometers. I'd do like push through five kilometers and be like, right, I've got to get off and just give my bum a break. But I changed things up. I got a new saddle. You know, you, your body gets used to it. And then you find you are super fit for cycling and then not much good for anything else. So <laughs> it's really difficult actually. But yeah, I was actually surprised how well my body held up and how kind of good I felt. And I think by the time I got to Indonesia, it wasn't a specific problem. I was just tired. I was just very, very tired. And the humidity in Indonesia probably didn't really help either. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of zaps my energy. Like on the AT, it's so humid. And I just found myself so tired a lot of the time. And I think actually the AT gave me most problems that I've had with my body so far. So and I don't know, when I came back from the AT, I was absolutely more exhausted than I probably ever have felt. And I just slept and slept and slept. Um, my body and my mind just, and I don't know if it, that was just the AT or if that was just like an accumulation of the whole four years, last four years of just me being like, right, I'm really tired now. But my knees, I had a bit of a problem with my left knee and I had a bit of a problem with my right shoulder for a long time because towards the end of the trail on the AT, I tripped on a stick and the stick kind of got like caught in between my legs and then I launched forwards and my arm got ripped backwards like my trekking pole got stuck on something and my arm got ripped backwards and I felt my arms are a bit my shoulders are a bit loose anyway the joints and my shoulder kind of popped out and I popped it back in again and it's not really been quite right ever since actually so it kind of it was, it's significantly better than it was but for, for a good month or so after the AT, I had like real problems in my neck. So my it was my right shoulder and I was getting like really bad pain in the left of my neck. So almost like a whiplash type thing. It was mm -hmm. really sore and it was difficult to sleep because 
um, it would hurt at night. And when I'd wake up, I could like hardly move my neck and I couldn't really lift my shoulder up much above the level of my, my arm much up above the level of my shoulders. But I knew like most of it is going to be rest and just, you know, not using it. So I did a lot of nothing, <laughs> which for a good, a good kind of three months, I did very, very little um and it's everything is kind of recovering gradually now but I think that trail definitely took its toll on my body a lot more than any of the others and whether that's just because I had an unfortunate trip or you know I stepped funny or something like that it's just one of those things uh it could have happened on the PCT just as easily but it, it didn't so but yeah that's the they're the biggest problems I've had really uh, everything else, I've just been very, very lucky. I think I, I've definitely had a lot of luck. I know people that do injure themselves, they have to get off the trail. You know, someone dislocated their, like properly dislocated their shoulder. Um, people have like broken legs and fractured, you know, stress fractures and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I do, I do just feel like I've, I've kind of got away with it, <laughs> which has been really nice. Why do you think or why was the AT so challenging for you? Um, it, the humidity really got to me. Um, I'm not great in humid climates, it turns out. It's real energy <laughs> Something dapping. you now know about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I know that now. Uh, I, don't, I don't drink enough. That probably doesn't help. Um, I'm pretty bad at that. The I set myself quite a tight time schedule so I did it in 115 days which I know is not in any stretch of the imagination like a super fast time but I guess it's on the quicker end of the scale of people that do the AT and having my time pressure was because I, my cousin was getting married and I wanted to get back for that because I've missed out on so many kind of family things and stuff in the past from being away uh, I really wanted to get back for that. So, um, yeah, I basically had a set amount of time. And even though I kept telling myself that it doesn't matter, you know, just get how far, far you can get. The trail's not going anywhere. You can come back and do it. It's fine. In the back of my head, it was like, no, you will do this. You will get this done. Like, you will have failed if you don't. And it's just like, you can tell yourself one thing, but, you know, that little voice in the back of your head is like, no, 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 come on, you can do this. So I think that was always there. I kind of felt like I had a bit of a pressure on myself, even though I was, you know, it was fine. And I was always on target pretty much. Um, it was still there kind of just thinking, right, I've got to push on, got to push on. So I only had three zero days in the whole trail. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's quite um, tough on your body, I guess, when you're just constantly moving. So, yeah, I mean, the 80s is a tough trail, you know, it's, yeah. it's rocky, it's up and down, it's steep, it's you know, hot, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough trail. Yeah. yeah. It's always interesting to me because the AT usually ends up being people's gateway drug to through hiking. Yeah. And it's tougher from what everybody says than the PCT is. And even to some extent, the CDT, because of the humidity, because of the up and down, the rocks, the roots, the, you know, all of that. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. I think, each trail comes with its own separate set of challenges and separate set of difficulties. And what is difficult on one trail may not be difficult on the other, but then, so on the AT, it, you've got water everywhere. And on the PCT, you've got huge water carries and, you know, long dry stretches. Yeah. So that makes it harder. Um, but the trail is graded much, much better on the PCT than it is on the AT. So again, that's like 
one for the PCT. <laughs> so I just, uh, yeah, the PCT is like 400 miles longer. It's just, it's very difficult to say that one trail is diff- more difficult than the other yeah. because they're different, they're difficult in different ways. I mean, walking that far is never going to be easy. So when a lot of people say to me, oh, which trail is easier? I'm like, you can't even ask that question, you know, because mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing to do. They're just difficult in different ways. So, yeah. <laughs> when you came back to the PCT to go southbound, did you, you said you upgraded a few things. Yeah. What did you upgrade versus what did you stick with? Um, and then kind of the secondary question um, to that is, did you basically use that gear for the rest of the adventures, you know, for the TA and the AT and, and all of that? Yeah, I used exactly the same stuff all through. So the Sobo PCT, the TA, the cycling, I used everything was exactly the same. So I changed up my shoes. I was using Solomon's to start with on the PCT uh, northbound. And then I changed to Ultras. And that was, you know, I, I was fine with my Solomon's. But I got to Shasta and I really needed new shoes. And they didn't have Solomon's. So I basically just tried a few on and the Ultras seemed to fit. And people were like, oh, you know, you can't just transition to zero drop shoe straight away. And I was like you can <laughs> you can just start walking in them and I didn't have any problems I mean again I think I was lucky um I've never really all my problems have been kind of knees and hips and stuff my my feet have never I've never had like plantar fasciitis or anything I've, I've always been pretty lucky in that so yeah I changed up my shoes and have pretty much stuck with ultras ever since um I've just bought a pair of ultra fours which or lone ultra lone peak fours, which I'm looking forward to trying um, because actually the 3.5s were not as good as the threes. So it's kind of frustrating when you find a shoe you really like and then they change it up and you're like, yeah. ah, come on. You know, it's like, doesn't quite work. But, you know, they've changed it up again and hopefully it's for the better. I stuck with the same sleeping bag. I have a Z-Pax uh, 10 degree bag. I have a Neoair Thermorath. Um, one of the yellow ones that most people yeah. have. Uh, I have a Big Agnes Copper Spur. I didn't change it up, but Big Agnes were really great in their customer care and they renewed it for me because all the seams had like the seam seals had come away. So they replaced that for me, which was great. Was that between the PCT hikes or was that after the? That was between, uh, when was it? Oh, no, that was, um, actually, my tent got me through twice, PCT twice, TA and camping through Australia. So pretty impressive that they actually replaced it for me. Um, (laughs) It had a few miles. It had a few miles, yeah. I'm not sure if I actually mentioned that, but... um, (laughs) uh but they they replaced it and then i had a new one for the start of the at what else have i changed up so i changed like i upgraded my jet boil to one that has like a big igniter on it rather than uh the old style one you had to like light yourself um but mostly actually my gear has been a lot of the same stuff i go stoveless sometimes so normally during the trail i will have a stove and then i'll get sick of everything you could possibly eat from a stove and i will mail it ahead to myself to somewhere else 
and pick it up again in the hope that I may have, you know, forgotten the pain of eating all that stuff in the stove and start eating it again. Um, so I tend to do about half the trail with the stove and half the trail stoveless. Um, what else did I upgrade? When you're doing that, is the cold soaking just, I, I, I'm assuming that you're doing cold soaking, but maybe you're not. But is it no, that much I don't. Different? I don't cold soak. Okay. I don't cold soak. I'm a. I'm a really bad person to talk to about food because <laughs> what I eat, <laughs> what I eat is terrible, and all the people I hike with will be like, "You eat that." Um, I basically live on Twix bars, chips, Twix bars and chips. Oh, and of course, candy. Who can forget the candy? Um, so, like, I don't know skittles or like sour patch kids or all that type of stuff <laughs> so that's pretty much what i eat but then sometimes i'll have those dehydrated meals but they're pretty expensive there's not like a sustainable through hiker you know, mm-hmm. well for me anyway i'm not you know i'm not like a an old retired person who has lots of spare cash so they can like afford sometimes to eat a bit better in terms of what i cook in my stove it will be ramen noodles or potato like mashed instant mashed potato is something I get bored of after about two packets so that doesn't that doesn't sit well with me I went through a massive phase of eating tuna and crackers so tuna packets mm-hmm. um so I'd eat about like three a day and now right now I can't even look at look at a tuna <laughs> packet it just makes me want to vomit but in New Zealand and Australia they sell really great tuna packets which are like filled tuna but then they've got flavorings but so they do a really good one which is like soy uh ginger and um what was that like soy ginger and lemon or something it was like that but it actually had like bits of ginger in you could like see the stuff in it and they were really good like they had a harissa one so you kind of mix it up different countries have different things but yeah generally i just survive on on sugary stuff which is probably not great because i probably do have lots of like sugary crashes and stuff but at the end of the day lots of people can comment on what i eat but what you have to think about is what you can actually put in your mouth and swallow because a lot of some like as long as you're eating that's good um and even if it is super sugary you're burning like it straight off so it's not like I'm just sat in my bed shoveling sugary snacks into my face because, yeah, that would be really bad. I'm being very active while eating a lot of sugar. So actually, I was, I was kind of worried about my sugar levels when I came back, but I had a, I had a test and they were fine. So it kind of proves that, you know, if you're active enough, you can you, your body can cope with it. But, yeah, it, you know, people that haven't had that experience, you really do have to just find something you find palatable and that you'll you'll eat because if I don't if I'm carrying something and I don't want to eat it I won't yeah and that's not good either because then you're going hungry and you know you your mood slumps when you get hungry as well so yeah it's really whatever you can stomach to eat but especially by the end of the trail you're like right I can't eat that because I've eaten it too much I don't want to eat that and your tastes change as well so what you may like off the trail you might not like when you're on the trail and the weather affects it as well so that's why I kind of go stoveless when it's hot because the thought of having a hot meal is just makes you feel a bit weird so you know pack out like cheese and salami and tortillas and stuff and I was eating that a lot cheese cheese salami tortillas and then suddenly one of my salami packets went moldy 
and that was it. I was like, can't look at salami again. It just made me think think of mould. So, yeah, something like that can just put you off. So you have to find something else. <laughs> and and you're sort. Of, it sounds like your kind of go to across the board though was like the Twix bar. Um, I've never fallen out of love with the Twix bar. <laughs> I can I can look at them and still think I want to eat you, despite the fact that I spent like on the eighty, I probably ate two a day for 115 days and I still love them they're great they're so good <laughs> your first and last love yeah exactly <laughs> what did you use for a pack uh, oh that's something I changed up actually so I started off with an Osprey Exos and that was a great pack I really found it very comfortable thought it was a good size I think I had the 58 yeah and uh, I started off with it as well for my second hike as a PCT. But I had, I mean, I, I'm not going to say I was fat because I wasn't really fat, but I was definitely carrying a few extra pounds when I started the uh, PCT first time around. And that was um, semi-conscious, I guess. So I wasn't very careful about what I ate before I started because I knew that the potential <laughs> to lose the weight was there. And I did, I lost, I lost about 25 pounds on the first PCT hike. So when I came back to do the PCT the second time around, my bag was too big. Like I couldn't, so by the time I got to, where did I buy my bag? Mammoth. So I got from Canada down to Mammoth. So kind of the start of the Sierra uh, for Southbounders. Um, I got to there using my Osprey, but because I had started slimmer than I did in the first time around, I had then lost a bunch of weight. My pack didn't have enough adjustment left in it. So I was using my sit pad, my like little mm-hmm. cut up bit of Thermarest around my like, uh, well, I first of all, I had it around my back, but I was getting way too sweaty. So I had to like put it around the front. So I had this pad around the front just so my bag would do up tight enough. Yeah. And I thought, well, I can't carry on like this. So I went to my hiking partner catwater had a hyperlight mountain gear bag and i you know thought it was really good looked really nice but i didn't want to buy one she has the black one and i wanted the white one and i didn't want to buy it without having trying like they're obviously online and i didn't want to buy it without trying it on and when anyway long boring story short i basically got to mammoth and there was an outdoor gear shop there which i can't remember what the it was called now but they were great in there they had some packs i tried it on they had a sale Bish bash bosh got one um and yeah never looked back really you got that exact bag yeah so i got the hyperlight mountain gear the wind rider the one with like the meshy pockets on the outside um and i think it's there like the mid-sized one it's not the really small one i don't remember what the the um the leaders they're called i know i can't remember the leaders either but it's definitely like the middle size one okay. um which was actually probably too big it was perfect for the pct because you have to carry your bear canister and all that kind of jazz but for the at i probably could have done with a smaller one but at the same time it's like it's quite an investment it's they're quite expensive so i wasn't just going to go and buy a small smaller one because i could it was a bit a bit big but i could it's better than being too small so i could fit all my stuff in there even though it was too big so for me it was fine um, and it's still going going really strong. I mean, it really hums a bit, but um, it still, you know, stands up to the job. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think I'll be replacing it like quite yet. Anyway, until it until it properly starts to fall apart. But it's it's made pretty well. So, yeah. 
It's got a few more miles left. It definitely has. So, yeah, I was pleased with that. I was very, like, unsure about um, having a pack with without much of a frame and, you know, without yeah. it being off offset from my back because that's something I did enjoy about the Osprey is where they kind of force it away from your back and you've got that airflow. And I just thought, oh, you know, I'll just get too sweaty and overheat. But you, you soon kind of adapt to it it's actually not that you're gonna sweat anyway especially on the at that thing would have made no difference at all you would have been a sweaty mess regardless of like what pack you had so um yeah you you just adapt to it and you get used to it really so and it's really hard to to reckon like people say oh, what's the best pack for you so I'm like well i haven't used every single pack so mm-hmm. i don't know i use this one and i like it is what i can tell you but as for the best one for you unless I had tried every single pack out there, like, I don't know, I can't, I can't say. And the same with shoes, you know, people always ask to recommend shoes and you can't because my feet are different to yours. So it's impossible to say you have to wear these shoes because your feet might, you know, my feet are what short and wide and your feet might be long and narrow and the ultras probably won't do the job for you. So my recommendation for shoes is try as many different pairs on as you can and find the ones that are most comfortable that is literally all you can do to choose shoes you can't you can't listen to you can listen to other people's advice but don't listen to people that say you have to wear these these are the only shoes <laughs> yeah. because we're really lucky we've got so much choice there are so many companies out there so many different styles and makes and brands we're, we're lucky that we have so much choice so just go and try them all on yeah, it, it's interesting with this podcast and asking people these questions. I think that's the biggest benefit I've received from being able to talk to everybody, which is, you know, as opposed to saying, okay, this is the only thing that you can use or the best thing. It's sort of like, what did you use? What are the different options you've got out there? Yeah. And and then I can research or, or somebody else can research what then would work best for them. Definitely, because what what works for one might not work for another we're all different shapes you know my friend my friend catwater we're totally different you know i'm i'm short i'm like five foot four she's really tall and super lean super skinny you know you know she can i'm so jealous because she can hike without a bra and i'm like she's did that <laughs> i'd be so uncomfortable you know just like walking around like holding onto my boobs um so we're we're totally different you know like I store my um body fat you know quite well whereas she just hers just disappears she has much more of a lean kind of runner's physique and I'm just not built like that so you know if you expect if you expect things to suit us both it's really difficult because we're we're completely different makeup so yeah, it's 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 definitely not a one size fits all kind of kind of sport. You have to you have to go and find what works for you. I, I think, as you said, we're very lucky that we're in a time where there is that much variability in almost everything. So you yeah. can find what works for you. Absolutely, even down to which trail you want to hike. You know, it's true not for everyone. And <laughs> I I spoke to a guy I met on the PCT who um, has absolutely no desire to hike the AT ever he's like no I know it's not for me I don't want to do it and I'm like that's really refreshing to hear because most people are like oh you know I have to get the triple crown I have to do them all you know once once you start you feel like a pressure to have to do them he's like no I'm just not interested and I'm like that's that's great I really appreciate that opinion you know so 
Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the trails and the triple crown and so forth, but one of the reasons that I had that I had uh, asked Jukebox to make the connection with you was because you had hiked the TA, and I haven't spoken to anybody who's hiked the TA at this point. Uh huh. And while I also say the AT isn't really of interest to me, the TA is. Yeah. But after seeing your pictures of the mud. <laughs> don't be put off by the mud yeah don't be put off it's a very small part of the trail and I think a lot of pictures yeah some of it might have been rerouted I was looking at the route um earlier a couple of weeks ago um and I know one of my friends from the um PCT did it last year I think and he was commenting that a lot of it has been changed and you know that's totally normal the pct is nothing like it was when it was first built um so the ta is still such a young trail that it's going to be changed it's going to be rooted it's going to be different every year but yeah there are there are three forests up in the north island which are super muddy and they are challenging and then the um, terra ruas down kind of in the south of the north island um, they're super, super muddy. And then down in the bottom of the South Island is super muddy too. So you've got three kind of really muddy bits, but yeah, don't, I mean, it's a, it's a challenge and yeah, you'll be filthy <laughs> and you'll be up to your knees in mud, but it's just part of it. And I, one of the reasons I really did love the TA was because that it is so diverse. It's so different. You know, the, it kind of has a real mix between the PCT and the, the AT it feels like those two trails have kind of been jumbled together. So you have like super steep ups and downs. You have some really lovely hiking. You have up in the in the mountains, in the South Island. And one of the biggest things I'll say is that a lot of people say, oh, don't bother with the North Island. And I will definitely counteract that and say, no, do bother. Because all of the culture and kind of history is is up in the North Island. And all like the connections you make with people and the communities and that really lovely the spirit that comes from you know humans helping humans um it's mostly up in the north island because most of the people live in the north island you know it's like 80 yeah. percent of the population or something live up in the north island and and it's beautiful in its own right and there are a couple of road walks but there are a couple of road walks in the south island too so you know don't don't be too kind of precious about thinking oh i just want to keep it to to the mountains or whatever i just want to do the nice bits um, for me, a through hike is not about just doing the nice bits necessarily. It does, you know, there are certain like times, even on the PCT, there's a couple of road walks. So, you know, that awful, horrible walk into Sierra City or wherever it is. I can't actually, I don't think that's the right town, but um, the one before Etna where you have to do that like long old road walk. And yeah, it, it's part of it. You know, it may not be most enjoyable at the time, but for me, the uh, the pleasure comes at the end where you're like you know I did the whole thing and I walked those roads and I connected the whole trail and I did you know not necessarily continuous footsteps but I I linked my footsteps up because we we skipped forwards and did one of the great things about the TA is that you get to canoe the Wanganui River I mean how great is that Uh, you get to stop hiking and sit in a canoe for five days which is amazing but again specific fitness arms not great (laughs) um uh and it's so much fun but because we wanted to do it in a group it it, you know it's more economical and um it's just more fun in a group 
we got to Tamaranui where you start the river, but we were there earlier than some people. So we went ahead and did a, a part of the trail that was further up. We did the Tongariro crossing and came back and did the Wanganui River. So, you know, it's everybody's hike is, is slightly different and, you know, it's whatever makes you happy. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks really at the end of the day. But, you know, for me, what's important to me is doing, I want to do the whole thing. I don't want to miss out the bits that people don't like. I just want to mm-hmm. do them and experience them. And yeah, I might think, oh, this is a really boring road walk. It's hurting my knees. It's hurting my feet. You know, long, long uh, walks on the flat don't do my hips any favors. Um, but when you like, when you get to the end, you don't really think about those road walks you've done. You just think, wow, well, you know, I managed to walk the whole length of a country, <laughs> and yeah. I didn't skip any bits out. So it just, yeah, it makes it makes me feel good to have that feeling at the end. And that's why I push through the bits that aren't always that fun in the moment, because I know the feeling when I get to the end will be worth it. So, yeah, but the T, the TA is, you know, it's only like 10 years old. So, you know, it's, I think, I think that's the figure. Um, And, Compared to the PCT, which was like established in the 60s, it's not going to be as well groomed. And, and you know, America and New Zealand are very different countries. You know, the, um, the top of New Zealand is very long and thin and there's lots of yeah. private land and you can't just, you know, expect to be able to walk through it. You have to get permission. The, you know, the um, people that look after the land, which I cannot remember what they're called, not forestry service, but, you know, similar. Um, yeah they they have to seek permission from these people and quite rightly not everyone has to give it so mm-hmm. you might have to walk a, do a road walk around it and that's something you have to be really respectful of and if you know people stop being respectful then they're just going to spoil it for everyone else really so yeah you just have to kind of roll with the punches and and accept what that country is giving you and what they are giving you is a a way to walk continuously from one length of their country to the to the uh, one end of their country to the other which you know i think is incredible the fact that you can do it is just amazing um but yeah don't let the mud put you off because (laughs) there are the mud is minimal for the length of the trail you know so yeah it just the the variation in the types of mud that you were walking through (laughs) was was quite entertaining i gotta say (laughs) yeah there is there is certain uh certain terrains like you you spend a lot of time walking through rivers as well um yeah which is super fun yeah really good fun and then i saw a picture oh go for it yeah. i was just gonna say that one of my favorite streams um is in the north island and it's called the mangapukahukahu which is just <laughs> like one of the greatest names and just like spending a couple of days walking along the mangapukahukahu is just well, there's nothing better is there really <laughs> the fact that you could just flip that name out like that is pretty impressive actually it took me so long to learn it and once i learned it it's never going away because i repeated yeah. it so many times to get it right but yeah it's ingrained in my memory forever now <laughs> <laughs> oh that's beautiful um i one of the pictures that you had was a picture where you were essentially on the trail 
and you were right beside a fence and then there were bushes right beside the fence. And yeah. you were basically saying that the trail wasn't on the other side of the fence. It was literally through the bushes. Yeah. Yeah, you get a lot of moments like that. Um, actually, there was... <laughs> the, I guess because the other side is a field and it belongs yeah. to someone. So they exactly. don't want you walking through it, which is fine. Um, but it would be nice if someone kind of chopped the bushes down. But there, there are a few kind of parts off the road. And sometimes in doing so, they send you on a path where you think, actually you see that road right there i'd much rather we walk along that road because this is effort and this is tough and this is like ankle breaking and this is like full of things that are scratching me and stuff and a couple of times we bailed on the trail and there was a a road parallel and -hmm. we just walked along the road just because it was easier and you know that's that's the payoff isn't it you you try really hard to get the trail off the road but if you don't have the funds or the manpower to main like build a decent trail or maintain the trail, then you know it's it's going to be tough and slow going. So yeah, you know, six <laughs> six of one, half a dozen of the other, really. So um, you read my yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. You know, you always kind of you know they try and give you what you want, but there are limitations. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's all part of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> the adventure. Yeah, exactly. How was resupplying on the TA? Because um, New Zealand can be um, very rural, so. Yeah, so North Island was super easy. I mean, especially in the like in the north of the north, so the like first fifty percent of the North Island. You, I mean, you're walking through towns all the time, and you don't have to carry that much food. Um, I think. I spent most of my money up there because you're constantly like, let's get some real food. Um, so when you walk into town, you're like, ice cream, just like every day. I'm like, what? Today we're not having an ice cream? What's that about? Um, so the North Island is super easy. Um, and even if you do have to go off the trail into a town, it's not far. Um, but mostly you're just walking right into them, straight through them. Uh, South Island becomes a little trickier. You have to send yourself a couple of boxes, certainly. One to Arthur's Pass and one to St. Arnab. They are like the most kind of remote places. But you can still get real food there. So you can get a lovely pizza at St. Arnab. Very nice. Um, And you can get some good food at Arthur's Pass as well. But there's not enough there to resupply. Um, So you'd you'd have to send the box. And then a couple of times you have to just like the PCT hitch into a nearby town. Um, but the stretches between towns are a little longer than they are on the North Island. So you're looking at maybe like five, four or five days, probably max five days would be the max. But um, yeah, it's, it's not it's not difficult at all. Did you send your resupply boxes while you were on the trail? So did you send boxes forward to yourself or? Yeah, so I didn't send any boxes in the North Island, but then when we got to Wellington, which is the last kind of big town um, before uh, before the you cross, right? Before you go over on the ferry, yeah. Uh, I I spent a day there, and we packaged up some boxes just to send over to the South Island. So those two places I mentioned, we send pa- mm. we sent packages there from Wellington, okay. um, and then after that. You don't really need to send yourself anything. It's all pretty well available. So, I, I was seeing that you guys were using 
or that there were huts along the trail. Is that all the way along the trail or just in specific areas or? Yeah, so the hut system is great in New Zealand. You have to buy a pass. I can't remember how much it costs. It's not that much money. Uh, and they're all run by the POC. And there is only, oh, I can't, I think you don't need the pass until, you, so buy your pass in a, a town called Hamilton, which is kind of midway in the, in the North Island because there isn't a hut before them. Uh, there are no huts up north of Hamilton. So there is an outfitter there in Hamilton which sells them. Uh, and then I think there is one hut in a mountain range somewhere. And then they the huts kick off for real, like in the uh, Terra Ruas, which is the mountain range kind of just uh, east of Wellington. So down in the south of the North Island, uh, that mountain range there, you start getting the huts. And then in the South Island, there are lots more huts. Some of them are a lot more basic than others. Some of them I could quite happily live in forever. Um, <laughs> some of them are like bigger than my house. Uh, and a lot of them are, have rainwater harvesting tanks, which are great. So you get to these massive tanks on the side that collect all the rainwater, which is perfect. And yeah, so some of them can sleep like three people, some of them can sleep 20, but the, the hut network is great. There are tons of sandflies, especially in the I South Island. Picture. Oh, yeah, they're not good. Um, they bite, they itch, they are just horrible things. Um, so you staying in the hut is good because it gets you away from them. Um, but also, like, like I don't know, you, you kind of get to camp and you just put your tent up as quick as humanly possible. There is no, there is not really much chance of cowboy camping in this in, in New Zealand at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we woke up with wet tents nearly every day. And I think that's just condensation. There's just so yeah. much condensation. And whether it's to do with the nature of the island being long and thin and the kind of the weather that moves across because the weather can change super quickly as well it's just the yeah the condensation is just a lot of it so cowboy camping is not really an option which for me is not a problem because i don't really enjoy it i much prefer being in my tent um, but yeah when you get on the, on the south island you just like pitch your tent and jump in it and like don't get out again unless you really have to because the sound flies are just oh yeah they're horrible and you can hear them like buzzing around and it feel it sounds like it's raining because they're all like oh, buzzing between your net and your floor. It's like, tick, 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 tick. Yeah, it's it's not great. <laughs> but don't let me put you off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the PCT has their mosquitoes, so. Absolutely. Yeah, it does have a lot of mosquitoes. And even the uh, AT has like the horrible black flies and the biting flies and, it, and some mosquitoes as well. So, yeah, you're not going to escape the bugs anywhere, really. Yeah, I think it's the nature of going into the backcountry. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So did you guys end up, once you hit the hut system, did you guys end up putting up your tents very much? Or like, I guess, how busy is the TA in terms of through hikers and and usage? Well, it's obviously getting busier every year. Um, Like all of the trails. I mean, the PCT is getting busier every year. The TA is definitely getting busier. And 
you know, there's talk about sustainability and if the infrastructure can cope. So the uh, toilets have to be emptied. You know, water isn't always that reliable because people are using it all up. Um, but I think the, the toilets are quite a big issue because they have to, you know, emptied by helicopter and stuff like that. Oh. So, you know, up in the mountains, it's up, I went to one hut, it was up like top of a mountain and they have flushing toilets. It's like, <laughs> what is this magic? This is incredible. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, you can get some really fancy ones, but a lot of them that have long drops, you know, long drops fill up. They, they're not, you know, endless. You, you eventually mm-hmm. you have to either empty them or fill them over and like get a new one. And I think with more and more people doing this, and even uh, like burying your waste, the more and more people that do that, you know, it is it sustainable? I'm not really sure. So, you know, the TA is getting busier. It's not when I did it. There were still lots of Kiwis that had not even didn't even know there was a trail that went through their country. You know, they were like, "What? What are you doing?" <laughs> like, you know, this trail that goes from the north to the like no never heard of it um but it's definitely becoming more popular you know the the thing you spend a lot of time talking about when you're on a trail is the next trail or other trails that exist so um word of mouth it's spreading you know the more people on the pct the more people will talk about the new zealand more people will hear about it so i don't know what the stats are but it's you know doubling maybe every year so i kind of feel lucky to have done it when i did um it wasn't that busy at all i mean i met lots of cool people and made loads of friends and things like that but and it didn't it didn't feel like what we were doing was unusual there were definitely other people out there doing the same thing and and it's much 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 more diverse as well so on the pct in the 80 i think about 80 percent of the people you meet will be american um, and then obviously you've got the few Brits that come over and you've got, um, I, met, I think I met a few Germans and met like one person from Czech Republic. But I'm talking like it's minimal. I met one guy who was Japanese, but you can remember them because they, they stand out. But on the uh, TA, you've got people from all over the world kind of, and it's not unusual to meet people from France and um, Canada and Korea and like it's there's a, just a much more diverse range of um people from other countries which I can't think of what word <laughs> describes people from other countries uh yeah just a lot a lot kind yeah. of greater diversity of 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 people and that's something I really noticed lots more Europeans uh, come over and do the the TA. They're really popular with Germans. Met lots of French people. So yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely it's different. Yeah. How is hitchhiking? Oh, super easy. So New Zealand is one of the easiest countries to hitchhike in. I think it's really common to hitchhike around New Zealand. Lots of backpackers spend time in New Zealand, Australia, New Zealand, that kind of circuit, and um, back. And it's not unusual for kiwis to see people hitchhiking on the side of the road and i had a great experience Uh, we had i was with my friend crusher from the pct southbound so crusher's american uh 
think she's from Texas. Sorry, Crusher, if I got that wrong. Um, <laughs> and, if she's from Texas, she would really not appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, oh God, I really hope that's not wrong. Edit that out. No. Um, <laughs> I, uh, she was over in New Zealand working, like on a, a, v- a work visa. And we were able, luckily, to coordinate a bit of time where she came and hiked with me for a bit, which was really, really cool. Because often you meet people from other countries and you, you, you never know if you're actually going to see them again. Because it, it's quite difficult to kind of arrange that. People have their own lives. They're very far away. You know, life just carries on and you end up just not really seeing them. So for me to see her again and for her to hike with me was just brilliant. And um, we were in a town. We'd hitched to a town called uh, uh, Tiano, I think. And we were trying to get out. And my hitchhiking tolerance is like 10 minutes after 10 minutes that's it I'm like well no one's gonna pick me up ever I'm just gonna have to live by the side of the road this is it I'm stuck (laughs) here forever and it's like why haven't I got a ride it's been 10 minutes you know I know I've known some guys that have spent like two hours sat on the side of the road not getting a ride so um I've been also quite lucky with my hitching but but we were struggling to get out of this town and um you know, we were like two women on the side of the road. Surely someone will come and pick us up. And we got picked up by a Russian man who spoke maybe two words of English. But we kind of got by on gestures and pointing at maps. And he gave us a ride back to the trail, which was awesome. You know, this Russian man in a foreign country picking up two foreigners. Like, <laughs> like, it's just it was just such a lovely experience. And when I finished the trail, so basically hitchhiking was super easy. But when I finished the trail... I decided to hitch my way back up from the bottom of the yeah. South Island all the way back up to Auckland. And I did that by myself. So most of the hitches I got were with other people. Uh, we, uh, When I was with my French, no, 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 Quebecois, not French-Canadian, they would they would kill me if I said that. <laughs> Quebecois. Um, they, we uh, encouraged a lady driving a school bus to take us uh, in town. <laughs> And she was like, I really can't do this. And we're like, what if we lie flat on the floor? <laughs> but she was so lovely and she ended up taking us. And she was just like, just don't tell anyone. So oh, yeah, I've just told the world, sorry. Um, uh, no names were admitted. No names, exactly. Um, but yeah, I did. I felt more than comfortable kind of hitching my way by myself. Um, and I had some great experiences. I think all the people I had a hitch with like really stick in my mind and there was one lady who picked me up and she said, right, I'm picking you up so nobody else does because I think you're going to get murdered. <laughs> oh, thank, well, thanks for picking me up and thanks for not murdering me. But thank, like, did you have to say that? Sort of thing. But, she, but we went sightseeing. So she was like, have you seen this? I was like, no. Have you seen this? No. Well, I've got nothing to do. Do you want to go and see it? <laughs> yeah, sure. So I went, I went on a day trip with this lady, which was really awesome. Yeah, loads of other really lovely people that I met. Uh, so a Maori man who I really struggled to understand any of what he was saying, but it was a great experience as well. So yeah, hitching is really fun. You just never know who you're going to meet. It's also super exhausting because you have to be their entertainment. And what you really want to do is just sit in the car and just zone out, but you can't. You have to tell your story you have to tell them why you're there. You have to like be there. You know, they've picked you up. Your payment is to basically entertain them. So it can be really tiring, really exhausting experience. And um, but there's so much like etiquette around hitchhiking as well because 
I was trying to hitch up to Dunedin. No, 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 no. Dunedin's down south. Uh, Blenheim. I was trying to hitch to Blenheim. And I was, if I can give you, is to wave to people that go past you because there are so many people that drive by and check you out, see if they like the look of you. Women often drive by to see if you're a woman. And if they do, they think, yeah, she looks all right. They'll come back and get you. So if you're like friendly to them as they go by, you've got more chance of them coming back. And that's happened to me so many times. I've People have driven by and come back around to get me. Um, but I was hitching and like there was some, I got to this road and there was a boy already hitching. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went and stood like quite far away from him and he was first. So I thought, well, he's been here longer. He deserves to get picked up first. And But he was on his phone. So he was put, had his thumb out but he was like looking down at his phone and this guy pulled over and picked me up and I was like, Oh, thank you. But like, he's been here longer. And they went, nobody's going to pick him up. He's not even looking. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay. So I just jumped in the car and he was like, no one, like if you're not engaged with the people driving by, they're not just going to stop and pick you up. But the guy that picked me up was, he was an older guy, but he had the best story because he, I think it was in the seventies. He hitchhiked from London to Cape Town. And I was like, oh, wow. he hitchhiked all the way through Africa in the 70s where I know I always say this story to people and they're like, yeah, but hitchhiking was really common in the 70s. I was like, but in Africa, was it? <laughs> like, yeah, maybe through Europe it could have been, but through like deepest, darkest Africa, I don't think so. So his stories were brilliant. I really enjoyed that. He was one of my favourites. Um, so yeah, just I, I love... I love hitching. It doesn't come with it. Like you can be slightly apprehensive. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm putting my trust in you. Cars are dangerous anyway. I'm getting in a car with a stranger. Yeah. So there's the like double danger really. You know, are you a good driver? Are we going to have an accident? Or are you a psychopath? You know, it's like, you never know. But I mean, again, I just think I've been super lucky and everyone that I've met has been great. And I think we got, we got one hitch um, out at the end of Tongariro Crossing, we went down to Wanganui and these two old men um, picked us up. It sounds super dodgy, but um, there, it was quite a long drive actually for a hitch. And he was asking us at the end, he was like, so where are you girls going to stay? And we said, well, we haven't really planned anywhere. We're just going to go and find somewhere. And he said, well, do you want to come and stay with me? We were like, yeah, okay. Um, and he was like, oh, just let me check with my wife. And we were like, oh, yeah, fine. Um, and she was like, yeah, come and stay. So we stayed with them for uh, a couple of nights. I think we ended up being there. And oh, no, that was it. We stayed a night. The weather was awful. So we hiked for a day. They came and got us and at the end of the day and took us back to their house. So we stayed there a second night. And then they dropped us back to where we'd finished that day. And we carried on. Oh, so wow. they were awesome. But also, um, I stayed with them again on, on my way back through. And we went out mm-hmm. for a little bike ride and they, they took me out to dinner. And yeah, they were just amazing. And we're still kind of you know, social media friends right now. Um, June will message me and ask me how I'm doing quite often. And um, she follows my blog and stuff. So it's just like, you know, you're now they're your friends. You know, you kind of know yeah. them. You've got association with them. And yeah, so that, that's been a really cool experience. You guys have some history. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like adoptive family. They're like ex yeah. grandparents. <laughs> exactly. Did you 
did you switch out your phone in each different country um, so that you had no. a local phone? And what did you do I with didn't, that? I didn't. Well, Americans get, get a bit envious over my phone situation because uh, the UK, it seems, has like way better deals than you guys get in America. Um, and I have a phone contract, which is the equivalent of about $25 a month. And it gives me it gives me unlimited everything. Um, and it gives me free data roaming in, I think, 19 different countries. And wow. yeah, luckily for me, America is one of them. So is New Zealand. So is Australia. So is Indonesia. So <laughs> I've been super lucky and not had to pay a penny over $25 a month. And I've just data roamed my way around the world. Uh, so I basically, uh, my network in England connects with uh, AT&T in, okay. no, 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 wait. Yeah, what's the big one? Verizon, yeah, it's AT&T. Verizon or AT&T. Yeah, so Verizon are the ones that people are like, oh, that's the best. Um, but I've never had any problems with, with AT&T. Um, they've been pretty good for me, So, but I don't really have a choice. It just, that's their, their partner. So um, so no, I've I've never changed my phone. I've just stayed with the with the same one. And then, so it allows me to use my phone in the same way as I would the UK. So mm-hmm. anything to do with data, it doesn't cost me anything. But if I were to call an American number, it would cost me the same as like calling abroad, which isn't an okay. enormous amount of money, but it's, it's um, you know, enough. But I, then I just use Skype. So you can call Skype to a landline, you know, for pennies. So um, I just, I, when I need to call someone, which isn't actually that often, you know, you can book things online, you can do yeah. stuff like that. Uh, a lot of people in Indonesia had WhatsApp and you just call them through WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. So, but there's all, but Skype is great. Actually, I did, I thought Skype was just Skype to Skype. And it was only through traveling and speaking to other people that I realized that you could call anyone and it would just cost you a few pence. And yeah, it's, it's a great tool to have. Yeah. Yeah. And you can also DM people on social medias and absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of lucky actually with with my phone. (laughs) If you don't well, notice, I am green with envy. Yeah, <laughs> but a lot of people do get, um, they keep their phones, but they get like a local SIM. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of people do that option. Yeah. I, yeah, that I've seen people do that in traveling before, but but you have the yeah. deal of the deal. I, yeah, I got, I got a good deal with that one. And you can't even get the deal I have anymore. It's like, because, <laughs> because it's, everything has gone up loads and they yeah. like reduced the amount of, and I'm like, I am never giving up my contract. This is it. I'm here to stay. They probably hate me because I spend so much, but don't actually pay them very much. So they're probably like, oh, you're the worst customer we've got. <laughs> yeah, how many of their customers travel around the world and have these extensive experiences? So. Yeah, exactly. Not that many, I imagine. So exactly, but, yeah, they can suck it up. Absolutely. <laughs> you, I think it was at the end of the AT. I think yeah, I think it was at the end of the AT. You kind of you had a you put a picture up on on Instagram, and then you kind of went through like the ten things you've learned from this whole experience. Mm. And I just wanted to touch on a few of them because I think that they're obviously 99.9% of the people have never had even one of these experiences, let alone all of these in the course of such a, an amazing couple of years. Yeah. And, and the lessons that you've learned, I think, are very worth hearing. 
Um, okay. And kind of also your reflections on what that means for you, I guess. Okay. I'll go from 10 to 1 as opposed to number 10. <laughs> okay. Just change it up a little bit. Okay. Um, and, and number 10 you said was happiness. It was yeah. about happiness. What did I say? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now you're going to make me pull the whole thing out. But, but basically, uh, it's it was really, it seemed like, finding your happiness and being happy? Yeah, so, I mean, happiness isn't like a a thing you find and then that's it. Mm -hmm. You don't just find happiness. You have to find happiness in everyday things. So whether that's just getting to go outside, like, this is great, this is making me happy. It's not something people should be, like, searching for an end goal. And I think it's taken a while to, to realize that because people think, you know, I'll get a great job and I'll earn loads of money and then I'll be happy. No, well, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. It doesn't, it's not a thing that you can have. It's not something you can buy. It's not something that, you know, you get and that's it. It, it comes and goes. Sometimes you'll be happy, sometimes you won't. But doing the things that make you happy is the important thing because the same as you know people's gear it's not one size fits all what makes one happy doesn't make another person happy I know some of my friends would hate to do what I've done <laughs> and some people some people are super envious and would love to do what I've done but mm -hmm. you know it's not you can't look at other people's lives and think you know I wish I was doing that or or they're doing the wrong thing or whatever it's just look at yourself think forget everyone else what um, is what I'm doing making me happy and if the answer is yes great keep on doing it if the answer is no then change it and do something else try something try something different I mean that's the key isn't it like you don't know what's going to make you happy until you try it and if you don't try you'll never know so and it doesn't matter if what you've decided to do doesn't make you happy because you've tried it and you found that it doesn't and then you move on and try something different so yeah, I think happiness is its an important thing to know that you can be, It's just don't seek it as a as an end goal. You just have to live, live it in the small moments. The big moments like finishing a trail, yeah, they're amazing. They make you happy. But it's also the whole, you know, all the smaller things that make up happiness as well. The people you meet, the experiences you have, the ridiculousness of like, chasing a moose at 2 a.m in the morning you know because you think there's a moose in the lake it's like those little things make you happy and then you get out and you find it's not it's just the waves lapping at the shore making it sound like a moose walking around in the lake you know that made me super happy because it, the whole situation was totally ridiculous <laughs> um so you know those things you'll remember maybe more than you will getting to the end of a trail so yeah it's just finding happiness in small things will kind of build up to overall happiness i guess yeah yeah, yeah. It, happiness isn't one thing no definitely not definitely not yeah. it's lots of different things yeah which which kind of goes with your your number nine which was kind of celebrating each of those things you know, um, and not waiting for one big moment to celebrate. But Absolutely. Yeah. Don't like 
if you can equate it to the trail, it's like, don't just think about that end day because that end day is great. But what about the other 114 days in between? You know, <laughs> they are really important as well. And your whole experience won't be defined by that one day. So you just have to think about those little moments that make up your whole experience. And I think, you know, I've only, I'm only saying these things because I've done them myself. And I know that, yeah. you know, you're so focused on getting to the end and you think, you know, I'm going to get to the end and there's going to be a moment where you think, you know, oh my God, everything has finally come together. You're actually, it's, it's just another day on the trail. And, you know, you do celebrate, um, but it isn't this wonderful, like, fireworks, you know, moment where it's just like, <laughs> oh, my God, isn't everything wonderful? It's just like a nice cherry on top of, like, a huge cake made up of lots of different ingredients. That end day yeah. is just, like, the very, like, finishing detail. Um, but you, you need all that other stuff underneath it to be able to put that cherry on, so... Yeah, it's it's important to not forget about the day you're on and like while you're thinking mm. about getting to the end. Yeah, and and remaining grateful. Definitely, definitely, because it's a very privileged thing to be able to do. And um, I remember being in Indonesia and it being a very different experience than being in you know any of the other previous countries and just thinking that actually, you know, because I'm there with a with a bike that I don't see as that valuable. Um, but I, I forget that actually just by being afford, being able to afford to fly to a different country, I'm already a rich person in their eyes, you know, because a lot of people that live in Indonesia will never leave their island. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very, very privileged thing to be able to go, even just go to a different country let alone spend five months of your life just recreationally hiking across it, you know? So, yeah, it's very, a very nice thing to be able to do, and you kind of have to remember that not everyone can do it. And I think we, we end up taking that for granted sometimes. Absolutely, definitely, because it's just, I mean, it's not necessarily our fault. It's just because this is what we're used to. You know, this is where we're comfortable. This is what we know. We don't know really living any other way. Um, so you do tend to take things for granted a little bit because that's all you've ever known. So it, it's like your normal. Um, you know, people that don't have this as a norm normality um, will see you as very privileged, but it's something that you forget maybe sometimes. Absolutely. The the seventh one was pressure, and I don't remember exactly what that was. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> because I do it a lot and I put pressure on myself all the time. I put pressure on myself like uh, to be good at stuff. I put pressure on myself to um, not fail. I put pressure on myself to um, do certain things. And if they're not like perfect, then uh, it affects me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's pressure to... Uh, you know get to the end of the trail for example on the AT it was like it right. was all pressure put on by myself no one else was pressuring me to do it no one else gave a toss if I got to the end or not you know they'd be super happy for me if I did and they'd be super happy for me if I didn't you know they'd be like well you had a great experience and it's all coming from me I and I'd be a lot happier searching for that happy I think <laughs> I'd be a lot happier if I was able to live more in the moment but 
I find it difficult and I find that, you know, I've set myself a goal, I want to achieve it. Um, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that uh, because it, it makes people, you know, achieve things and succeed in things. And, and that is yeah. great too. But out of, like from experience, like if you don't achieve your goal, it's not that big a deal as like as as the amount of pressure you put on yourself to think it it is a bigger deal if not <laughs> so yeah don't just don't put so much pressure on yourself other people like no one's ever really put pressure on me my parents have never put pressure on me you know friends family not I don't I don't feel pressure from anyone it's all comes from me I put a lot of pressure yeah. on myself yeah I know I know sometimes I get into the pressure cycle and I have to remind myself that um, I, I work in production. So, right. you know, it's all imposed on, you know, meeting deadlines and that kind of stuff. But there are times when I definitely have to take a step back and be like, look, I'm not curing cancer and this is not rocket science. Exactly. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Put this in perspective. <laughs> Yeah, definitely perspective is need, so needed sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The sixth one you had was about body and about appreciating the package you come in. Absolutely. And that's something I struggle with as well. Um, I constantly look at myself and think if I was thinner or if I was more toned or if my nose wasn't wonky or if I had different <laughs> hair or, you know, it's just like, like, this is what I've got. And this is a that's pretty much a, like a miracle in itself. You know, I've got to 36 without any significant problems. My body has done pretty darn well to, to do what it does. Um, yeah. It's, it's carried me across you know, a country four times. I've cycled across <laughs> Australia. I've climbed mountains. And I'm worried because I've got like a crease in my face. I'm like, <laughs> come, on, come on. And also like everyone you look at is totally different. Yeah, everyone comes in such a different package. And I spend a lot of time criticizing myself for not being whatever this version of perfect is. And to be honest, I don't even know what my own version of perfection is. I mean... I look at myself and I think oh, I wish I, you know, had thinner tops of my arms. Mm -hmm. uh, but what is like I don't look at other people and think, well, oh, they've got big top tops of their arms. I don't. I never think that about people. So, and I, I guess it's I'm 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 not so worried that people are thinking that about me. But why am I thinking it about myself? <laughs> yeah. Why am I constantly wanting to change bits of myself to fit in? And I I, I don't think social media helps with that at all. I think there is, you know, uh, images portrayed that are unachievable and this whole kind of generation with filters and, you know, all that kind of stuff um, and, you know, photoshopping and stuff. You know, I did a lot of that in, in my in my graphic design work. You know, I, yeah. I made, put a picture out there of, you know, people that wasn't a true picture. So you'd photograph a model and by the time the editing had finished, they didn't look like that, you know, and... Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the reasons for me not wanting to work in that kind of industry anymore is because I didn't like the message that was being put out there. But I mean, it, it's easy to be super self-critical um, and it's really easy just to accept who you are because we're constantly told by society that we need to be different. And a lot of it comes from 
you know advertising so yeah. uh there's a there's an author called matt haig who has written a great book and it's like happiness doesn't sell things so you know hmm. you're made to feel unhappy you're made to feel like you need to put cream on your face to make you look younger because you shouldn't be happy with the way you look and you need to get rid of the hair from your body because you shouldn't be happy I mean, it, and it all it is is the fact that a razor company we're making money off men by telling them to shave their beards and how can we make money off the other 50 percent of the population i know tell them that they shouldn't have hairs on their legs so they need to shave them so we sell these razors and it's just like it most of it is like that most of it is fear inducing you know are you scared of being burgled so buy a house alarm are you scared of you know xyz and are you unhappy with the way you look buy a gym membership are you you know unhappy with your hair diet you know it's like is you're constantly being told to change yourself by the media and I try and keep away from that but most most of the time I'm like you know I am enough I'm you know I'm lucky I'm fully able-bodied I'm you know it doesn't matter at all that I've got a bit of a double chin that I don't like it doesn't matter at all that I think my, you know, I'd like to be taller. Uh, these are all things that I just cannot change. These are things, genetic things <laughs> that I have been gifted <laughs> by my ancestors. You've been blessed you know? with. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm never going to look like Catwater. You know, no amount of surgery is going to make me look like Catwater. So what's the point in trying? Yeah, I'm not trying to be tall and skin, yeah. skinny because I'm never going to be. But um you know there's a constant kind of pressure to to lose weight and um you know my weight goes up and down a lot because I tend to lose a lot of weight on the trail I know lots of women who don't lose weight when they're on the trail because women have a very effective way of storing body fat because of you know childbearing yeah. and all that kind of stuff so a lot of women I know uh don't really lose any weight on the trail but I'm obviously one of the types of people whether it's just the food I eat or what but I tend to lose <laughs> weight tend to lose weight but when I come home, I, but I was saying this to my friend the other day, I'm like, I was looking back at pictures of me when I finished the PCT and I was the skinniest I've ever been. I was super thin and I still looked at myself and I still didn't think, oh my God, you know, I look great. Looking back now, I think I looked really good. But at the time, I didn't think I looked that amazing. So what is the point of striving always to lose weight? Even Because even when you do, when you're super skinny, you still don't think, yeah, I look really good. Yeah. So what's the, what's the point? And I know that because my body has changed shape so much over the last couple of uh, four years or so, because cycling changes the shape of your body. Hiking mm -hmm. changes the shape of your body. Sitting yeah. in bed doing nothing changes the shape of your body. <laughs> so, yeah, my body is constantly changing. Um, you know, it muscles relax, muscles tighten, you know, different bits of it shape up and stuff. So... It's just something I have to try and accept is that I'm going to look different and depending on what I'm doing. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty lucky, really. I, I'm not going to, you know, I get told off sometimes for saying, oh, I feel really fat because I'm, I'm not fat. But it's just one of these things that you say, isn't it? It's not, you don't really yeah. mean it. But um, yeah, I've been I've been lucky. And I, mean, I guess I should say there's nothing wrong with being fat or if you want to be fat, be fat. Um, there's nothing wrong with being super skinny you get really into trouble don't you for um saying anything nowadays so but just for my personal like happiness i like not feeling fat so um it's really hard to be accepting of what you have and i think the older you get the more you realize that 
that, but you could really have done with that realization when you're in like your early twenties. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, all things considered, it's kind of interesting, you know, yes, we are constantly in a struggle with our bodies and, and what they look like and that kind of stuff. But the very fact that your body carried you (laughs) across one, two, three, three countries, essentially, yeah five times <laughs> yeah exactly we should maybe focus more about what our bodies can do rather than what they look like um but it's difficult because yeah. you know there's pressure on you to about what you look like so um yeah, yeah it's tough it's exactly it's stuff yeah it's baggage <laughs> exactly yeah number five for you was worry yeah i worry about stuff um more than i probably should I worry uh, about whether I'm making the right decision and worry about whether, you know, the path I'm choosing is the right one and worry about the fact I don't have a career. I worry about the fact I'm not settled down with, you know, just those things. And it's a bit like um, one of the other points of like happiness and stuff like that. It's like, well, what is the point of worrying about stuff? Because it doesn't actually achieve anything. And I know that, but I still do it. Um, uh, and it's like, if you put it into a trail sense, you going right back to the start when we spoke about the snow, like you worry about the snow going up to the Sierra and you worry about the snow going down to the Sierra. <laughs> Why? Why are you spending all that time worrying about something you cannot change? Right. You can't change whether there's going to be a snowstorm or not. So... Don't worry about it until you get there. Um, but it's really difficult not to worry because I guess it's human kind of nature to think about the future and, you know, plan for uh, things if they go wrong and stuff. But it's such a waste of time. And there's like that great quote of like saying, um, worry is like walking around with an umbrella open just in case it rains. You know, what is the point? You know, if it rains, it rains. You know? So... Right. Yeah, I wish I worried less about stuff. Um, and I do try and worry less, but I still worry about things, you know. Yeah. When you worry about things, what do you tell yourself now to kind of pass through it or, or to get on the other side of it and be like, okay, yeah, I'm worried about that. I, I accept that I'm worried now. Let's move on. Yeah, it, it's, it's difficult. Um, but I kind of think with experience, um, having had these these types of experiences, I do worry less because I know that also know that things have a habit of working themselves out. <laughs> yes. So, you know, whatever it may be, if you're stuck on the side of the road, sometimes a Russian man will come and rescue you, you know. So <laughs> like you just don't know what's around the corner. Um, so try not to worry and something will work itself out. Um, and I just I guess I remind myself of those circumstances, those situations where you haven't known what you're going to do, but something has come along and something has benefited you and just, you've never been stranded on the side of the road, have you? So like, just accept that something will work itself out, I think. So yeah, I remind myself of those experiences I've had. Do you also find, now that you've had all of these experiences and these, these adventures, that you can, you know, things that, that can, should, whatever cause you worry, you can also get up to that and go, look, I've hiked, walked, whatever, 
thousands and thousands of miles. And every time I've been able to face whatever it was that came. So I will face whatever this is when I get there. Does that give you any perspective on it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was obviously pretty nervous when I you know, stood at that Mexican border and thought, okay, there's a <laughs> yeah. vast, vast country ahead of me. And what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? Like, oh God, I'm really worried about this. But yeah, it it kind of just, the I guess some of the fear of doing something for the first time or doing something new or trying something different. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether I would have just bought a bike in Australia and started cycling had I not had my previous experiences on the trail. So the trail has definitely taught me um, to be a little bit more carefree, I guess, about decision making and just, you know, not to the point where I'm going to get myself into trouble. But um, a certain amount of worry and fear is kind of human protection, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, I'm definitely way more open like the AT I didn't really plan anything at all I just kind of rocked up and started walking and I knew that it like you say it would work itself out so I would get to the next town and that would and I would look at what the town after that was and I would get there so um I'm definitely kind of my experiences on the trails have definitely helped me um become a little freer in that way of thinking you basically, your approach to the AT was sort of the other guy's approach to the PCT. Yeah, so you yeah. didn't definitely. look ahead and you just took it as it came. Yeah, just took it. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd heard, you know, people talk about the AT. So I had a few preconceptions. I knew that, you know, the mountains of New Hampshire and stuff were pretty brutal. And I knew that people talk about Franconia Ridge a lot. And I've, there were lots of places I'd heard of. But I definitely, I didn't really do any research into them at all, mm -hmm. um, other than that they were just names in, in my head that I knew I was going to encounter. Yeah. Right. They exist. They exist Exactly. Yeah. Number four for you was time. Time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, we don't have a lot of time. And I guess it's just like make the most of the time you have because you never know what's around the corner. Um, you know, too many people have had their time here kind of cut short, really. And um, it's just, you know, you need to get rid of that worry and make the most of, of the time you have. And, yeah, like, because so many people are like, oh, you're planning for their pensionable age and you know worried about their pensions and things like that and I, I, I don't have a pension um <laughs> I don't I don't know if I'm going to get to pensionable age and I kind of think I'll worry about it when I get there which is mm -hmm. like total like antithesis of what I've just been thinking about that when you might not even get there because I've known I guess it comes from the fact I've known so many people who have not actually reached that age or got to that exact age and then not got any further so I just think I don't want to spend my like time I have here working, 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 worrying about my future and then not getting there. So I would rather have all these experiences now in case I can't have them in the future. So, yeah, time is is precious and, you know, it's a, a valuable commodity, I guess, that 
you know everybody wants a bit of your time don't they like people want you to do stuff and it's your time and yeah it's a really really valuable thing and that's another thing I worry about is like right now I'm not doing anything like I'm not on a trail I'm not doing something like oh my god I'm wasting my time (laughs) (laughs) I I should be out there doing something and that's difficult as well because that again then I start to worry about that I worry that I'm wasting my time and but you like I've also learned that you can't be on a continuous adventure you you get burnt out like with anything too much of a good thing I guess um Mm -hmm. You just you need a bit of bit of downtime and like my mum says to me, you know, you you're you're not wasting your time. You're using this time to, you know, heal your body, you know, get strong and prepare for the next adventure. So it's not a waste of time, it's just a different use of your time. So yeah, my mum talks like a, a lot of sense. <laughs> yes. It seems like a healthy approach to it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely is. Yeah. Number three for you was embrace. Yeah, so I spend too much time worrying, I guess, about what (laughs) other people will think of my decisions or choices. And I think I wish, especially in my teens, I'd wish I'd embraced my own kind of uniqueness a lot more. Um, I wish I hadn't worried about what people had thought of me. I wish I'd cut off all my hair and dyed it purple. I'd wish I'd, Mm -hmm. you know, just dressed outrageously. I'd, I'd wish I'd done things differently I guess and that also comes with the trying new things you know you're not going to know if you like it until you try it so yeah I think we just have to like embrace our own individuality and and think about it's like now like sat here at 36 nobody thinks back on what they were doing when they were like 13 14 like you're like oh yeah I was 13 14 you know I, I I was silly I'd cut my hair off and dyed it purple I kind of now when I when I'm sat here now I kind of wish I could have said I did that because I just think I don't know you don't want people you don't want to stand out that you? you want to you want to fit in with your friends I mean there are people out there that do it and I admire them so much I admire them that they can just stick out from a crowd and they can dress in like every different color and not care about what people think of them or you know something maybe they do I don't know but they do it anyway and I think that's great and I wish I could do more of that you know but there's that bit of in me that worries (laughs) so it's difficult (laughs) it's difficult to get over that um but yeah we should we should definitely not be well for me not be so kind of precious about making things perfect you know it doesn't it doesn't matter you just try it if it doesn't work try something different so yeah yeah which i guess gets to your number two which was experiment more which oh maybe maybe that was the point i was making touched, <laughs> which you kind of touch on both of them actually yeah. but it, it begs the question to me of uh what what's stopping you at this moment from cutting your hair and coloring it purple oh uh, well i guess <laughs> not i guess nothing but um everything <laughs> everything is stopping me um one thing I would love to do I've got a lot of hair um mm-hmm. and mostly that's down to laziness I can't obviously do anything with it so I just let it grow um I normally have it tied up quite a lot of the time I have had it cut very short before and I think I don't know if I don't know if I liked it I think it's probably a bit of a mistake um which maybe is something that's stopping me doing it again but at the same time, one thing I'd love to do is like just shave it all off. Just have like a number one all over because I yeah. can't think of anything more satisfying 
and just being able to rub your head and have like no hair. I just think that <laughs> just it seems wonderful. And you wouldn't you just get up and just that's it. You just get up. You don't have to like brush your hair or worry if it's like washed or not. You just don't have to worry about it. But unfortunately in like our society it comes with a lot of like connotations attached to it. So I don't want people to look at me and think I'm ill and, I, and that mm. doesn't sound great, but I'm, that's the association people make. And of course there's nothing necessarily wrong with being ill, but if you're not, I don't, I don't want yeah. people to look at me and be like, Oh yeah, she all looks she's ill. So, and also my mum would be so upset. <laughs> I cut all my hair off. <laughs> She'd be really upset. So I don't know, maybe one day when I've really stopped caring about anything, I will just be like, yeah, I'm just going to cut it all off. My my friend from the PCT cut all her, all her hair off for charity. A proper, proper shaved, completely shaved head. And I was like in awe of her doing that. I thought she was amazing. Um, and now look at it, it's all like grown back. It's like down to a chin and sort of thing. And I'm like, yeah, just just grows there's nothing wrong with cutting all your hair off but there's something inside me that just just stops me from doing it and I guess it's a mixture of lots of things me worrying if it's the right thing to do and me thinking what if I do it and I hate it other people what they think but yeah it's just a whole mix of things really so it's such an interesting thing because it captures so many of the things that we've just been talking about it's so fascinating yeah and your number one note to yourself I guess was well, it's, it's basically about failure and failing and not being afraid to fail. Yeah, and that's something I've always been really bad at. And I guess that like, kind of encompasses all the things we've just been talking about as well, because I really don't like failing at stuff. And I have been, but it's kind of like, well, what is failure to you? And if you bring it back to like talking about the trails and stuff, like failing would not be getting, not be getting to the end. But is that, it's not, it's not failing. Like if I, if I'd started out hiking and really hated it, then surely like failing myself would have been carrying on doing something I hate so mm-hmm. it's um it's a tough one really because I've always been a little bit of a perfectionist I did pretty well at school you know I never really failed anything I passed my driving test first time I like passed some exams I didn't I didn't really fail really and I would put all that pressure on myself not to fail so I would you know be up late at night going over exam questions and worrying about them so all of those things I've just talked about that you shouldn't do I did all of them which is why I'm telling people you shouldn't do it but at the same time on the on the opposite hand it's got me to where I am today and I'm happy with where I am today so I don't know maybe worrying and putting pressure on myself was was an okay thing to do but yeah failing is a tough one for me because I I don't like it but then I look at other people who Say you've got someone hiking the trail and they get off because they don't enjoy it. I certainly don't look at them and think they failed at, like, mm. in no way at all. I think it's a great thing that they're able to say to themselves, you know what, I don't like this, I'm not going to do it anymore. And I admire them for it. So like total opposite of thinking they're fail- failing. So I don't know why I then put that pressure on myself um, to think that if I do the same thing, then I will have failed at it. I don't know. Um, but all, and, and also... Failing at things makes you better at things. So, you know, get it wrong yeah. once, don't do it, don't make the same mistake twice sort of kind of vibe. So failure is such a great way to learn, you know. 
do something wrong. Like I remember my, on my driving test, the very first thing my instructor made me do was stall the car. So over here, we, we drive manual cars. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it's very uncommon to drive it automatic. There are some people that do it. But um, yeah, the very first thing you do, you get in the car, you start it, you take your foot off the clutch and it lurches forward and you think, oh God, what was that? And that's kind of like a driving failure. But once you've made that failure, you know that you don't do it again. So that's like how you've learned. So yeah, maybe we should do more of that in life. You should embrace, I guess, embrace getting things wrong as a as a way of learning rather than a negative thing. It's you know yeah. a good a good way to learn. And um, yeah. Did the did the fear or concern with quote unquote failing? when you were out on the trail ever stop you from doing something or trying something? Um, It's definitely stopped me in the past. Like there are things that I probably should have done or tried, but fear of kind of failing has held me back. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But on the trail, I don't know. I think the trail has definitely helped me be a lot kind of freer. Uh, It's definitely helped me be not so worried about failing um I'm, I'm not I think you know a certain amount of kind of worry can be good or like fear because it might stop you doing something stupid um <laughs> uh but I'm not sure I can't think of a uh time on a trail where fear of failing has hold me back because I guess for me the goal is getting to the end so failing would be not getting to the end so whatever I have to do to get there I will I will do you know so everything was just a step forward towards that yeah I think so um yeah, I mean, there are things on the AT I would have liked, if I had had more time, I'd like to have done. I'd like to have gone to New York. I'd have liked to have gone to Washington, D.C. Um, but that that that's not something I see as a failure. That's just something I see as I didn't have time to do. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really think that kind of does hold me back on the trail purely because that, the end goal, is, is what I would be failing at. Right. It's it's bigger than the the day to day things that are happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything you feel like we haven't talked about or touched on that we should uh, for either myself, who's a who's a newbie through hiker, or any of the other kind of people who are listening to the podcast and thinking about following in your footsteps somewhere along the way. Yeah, so I mean, I think we've touched on, I guess, most things, but I'm I would just say that you know, again, all of those things I've just said. Don't put <laughs> so much, but don't put so much pressure on yourself. Is to think I have to do this. Like if you're not enjoying it, or you find it's not for you, then do something different. Go buy a bike or something like that. You know, it's not. It's not the end of the world if you, you know, take all this time off, you tell everyone you're going to do this and then you feel the pressure to have to keep on doing it. If you don't like it, that's okay. Um, If you don't like cowboy camping, you don't have to do it. You know, if you feel like pressure from other people and looking at their Instagrams and, you know, seeing everything they're doing, if you don't want to do it that way, don't. If you don't want to be ultralight, don't. If you don't, you know, if you want to carry 
like my friend uh, Peach has carried a speaker, which is like a no-no in like ultralight communities and stuff. He wouldn't carry that. But it brought us loads of joy. We'd had like great communal sing-alongs and, and yeah, it was it was really fun. So don't kind of be sucked into all these forums which are like you have to carry this or you have to not carry this, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I hate the phrase hike your own hike because people use it as an excuse to say something horrible and then go, hey, hike your own hike. Um, so I don't <laughs> like, I, I kind of don't like the way it's used more than the, yeah. more than the saying, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, there, there really is something in the saying is do, do your own thing, you know? And I started off with too much stuff. I, I started off with a Kindle. I started off with a bowl. I started off with, uh, like extra clothes. And I soon learned very quickly that I did not want to carry those things. So I shipped them home. Um, and again, we're lucky in that we can do that. You know, there are so many resources around um, that you can switch out your kit. You can send stuff home. You can have stuff sent to you. So start off hiking with whatever you want to hike. And you will soon very quickly learn that you either want to carry it or you don't. And if you don't want to carry it, you'll get rid of it. So, yeah, don't don't go all kind of like, oh, you know, I have to have the best and the lightest of everything, you know. People manage these things back in the day carrying like basically their whole body weight. So, you know, it's it's achievable. You just will have a better time if you're not carrying so much weight. It's just <laughs> it's just a fact. Um, but yeah, just do you know, do loads of research, make a plan, but then be prepared to throw your plan in the fire like the first night because it won't you won't go to your plan. But it's good. I enjoyed making my plan. I enjoyed kind of the research part of it. I made a lovely spreadsheet um, and uh, it was kind of, it was kind of useful. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't matter if you don't make a spreadsheet, you know, it's just, there are so many different ways to do it. And so many, like everyone will have a different experience. I started off at the same time with one girl uh, and we ended up hiking. She was about three, four days behind me, like the whole trail. And we had, such different experiences you know down from the people we met the people we hiked with the places we stayed you know she saw bears in this Sierra. I, I didn't um she had got caught in a snowstorm I didn't so yeah I mean you can be literally three days behind someone and have a completely different experience so yeah yeah, yeah I guess it's basically brace well <laughs> yeah em- embrace embrace yeah what who you are basically and your and your definitely and just yeah just appreciate that it's it's your experience and your experience alone so it doesn't like because I've done a few talks and stuff about my experience and the most most people say to me you can't get it wrong like what, what you're talking about is your experience so whatever people think they can't tell you you're wrong because they didn't experience it you did so yeah, you kind of have to remember that it is yeah. your experience alone, and yeah, that's the most important thing. Which means that you can go back and do absolutely, trail over and over, absolutely. And, over again and, and have I am completely different not experiences. Out a PCT <laughs> round three, so um, maybe in the future I'll be you know trudging along that little trail again at some point. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Hopefully, exactly. But what comes next for you so, now? What, what is the next adventure? I think yeah, you probably have something huge. this year. But um, you so this <laughs> this year, I'm I am actually returning to the PCT <laughs> or like loosely, I'm hiking the John Muir Trail. So I'm going to meet up with Catwater, 
and we're going to hike together. Um, so I've booked uh, to come to the States for a month. So hopefully the JMT won't take a whole month because it's only like, what, 211 miles or something like that. So um, what we hope to do is maybe carry on a little bit along the PCT. Um, so wherever I get to on a certain day, then, you know, I fly into LA out of San Francisco. So I've got basically that bit in between to have some fun times on. So yeah, I'm like planning mm -hmm. for that at the moment, which is why I've just got my new shoes and, uh, getting all my stuff together and getting very excited about seeing Catwater <laughs> again. Super excited about going back and back into the Sierra as well, which, you know, it's beautiful. There's no two ways around it. So yeah, that's taking up my kind of August, September. And but in the meantime, I'm planning for my next big challenge, which is going to be rowing across the Atlantic Ocean in January of next year, which is totally out of my comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly what I Holy think about shit. it. Um, I, I spoke to um, another girl about a week ago about this, and she was asking me, you know, if I still kind of get nervous about hiking. And to be honest, I really don't. I uh, when I remember how I felt when I first did at the border of Mexico and I just I was super nervous I didn't know what I was letting myself in for I didn't know anything of what was ahead of me and yet now I kind of I know too much I know what's ahead I know the pain I know the tears I know the happiness I know the ups <laughs> and downs and sideways parts you know I know what to expect and to be honest like I think I could I could just walk out of my door and walk walk just walk and walk and walk and I'd be okay with that and I could do it and I'd be comfortable rowing across an ocean makes me feel like I'm still at the border of Mexico again it makes me have all those <laughs> feelings it makes me think oh my god what am I doing it makes me think what am I going to encounter how am I going to feel what is my body going to feel like what is going to hurt what's going to make me cry what's going to make me laugh you know all those unknowns and it's something really exciting I find that terrifying and exciting at the same time and it gives me that real kind of sense I like like of, of excitement again you know it's that nervous excitement and um like you're about to go on a big adventure which I am but but it was that's how I felt the first time I thought I was going to hike yeah. the PPT you know it's all that lead up to it the excitement the newness of it I you know there's so many things I've got to get used to I've got to you know live in a, a cabin which is like three quarters the size of a double bed I've got a row for two hours a day. Well, I've got a row for 12 hours a day in two-hour shifts. Yeah, that's cushy, right? Um, no, I've got I was a row say, two hours a day? two hours a time. <laughs> two hours on, two hours off, 24 hours a day, which is uh, going to be brutal because I really like sleeping as well. So um, that's going to be tough. And I guess when you're rowing and then you're sleeping, it's just going to feel like you're constantly rowing anyway. So it's going to be tough living in close proximity with like three other people, um, being in the middle of nowhere, not being able to see land, being on the sea, being like deep water is pretty terrifying to me. Um, you know, just that constant movement, no, nothing yeah. still. It, it's going to be a real challenge, um, but it's something I'm really looking forward to. It's going to be a huge challenge just to get to the start because we need to raise so much money. Um, we need to raise like over $100,000 and yeah we just we got a sponsor on board we went and picked up the boat today actually which is really exciting it makes it much more real now we've got the boat and yeah not only am I crossing the Atlantic I'm then a couple of months after finishing the Atlantic gonna go on and row across the Indian Ocean as well 
And as I say this right now, I feel like I'm talking about someone else. I don't actually feel like I'm talking about me. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be an experience. That's for sure. It's going to be interesting to see how I feel when I finish the Atlantic. Um, hopefully I won't hate it so much and yeah. not want to row across the Indian. Um, because we're actually going for a world first for the Indian. We're going to row from Australia to mainland Africa, uh, which no one's done before. So that's that's also quite exciting and also quite terrifying and all of those emotions. Um, and it's a long time. We're going to be at the, um, on the sea for about 100 days, pro- probably a bit more. Um, and that's a long time to be at sea wow. uh, with the same three faces. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be quite an experience. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> Yeah. So do you row? Yeah. Are you rowing? In Absolutely. Pair, so we'll row two on the, two the off. Um, and in like constantly. So there'll always be two people rowing. Uh, in our two hours off, we'll have to do stuff like wash and eat and sleep and clean and update the blog, um, contact home. Um, we're going to have a satellite communication on board. Yeah. So we get to talk to schools. Um, which will be really, really cool. Um, so we get to, you know, show them the vast ocean. We get to do a bit of research into plastic pollution. We are doing a research project for Parkinson's disease because one of mm. our crew members for the Atlantic is living with young onset Parkinson's disease. So we are, yeah, we're doing a research project with Oxford Brookes University oh, wow. here in the UK. And that's really exciting. So we've got so many things uh, to focus on. We're also doing a research project with PTSD for the Indian Ocean. So, yeah, so much kind of stuff to sort out, um, lots of stuff to do. And, yeah, sleeping is going to be minimal, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, between Optional. being sick and all that kind of stuff, because I get quite bad seasickness. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I do. Well, I you wrote led with first. that ever and only rowing experience i rode across the english channel so i rode from guernsey the channel islands which is kind of just below the top of france um up to the south coast of the uk and it took 37 hours and i was being sick for about 20 of those hours so yeah um but luckily everything i've heard from everyone is seasickness doesn't last forever and uh, are probably likely to be a bit sick for around three days, but then be okay after that. This is what I'm hoping anyway. So I hope I don't have to be like airlifted off the boat. So the other... Yeah, exactly. The other 97, 97 will be great. Will be good. Plain sailing. <laughs> How can people follow your adventures uh, and or... I guess, donate, contribute, whatever, to the yeah, ongoing adventure um, I mean, of this rowing expedition. We're definitely looking for donations. If anyone out there is a big, lovely corporate person that has a few spare thousands, I mean, that would be wonderful. If you are a normal person with a normal amount of cash, then we are <laughs> looking for any amount, you know, little amounts from lots of people soon add up. So, yeah, please do if you can donate anything. That would be incredible. Um, if you go to my Instagram, uh, which is Mason Alexandra, uh, most of the details can be found there. There's a link to my website and there's a link to the Instagram account, which is kind of we've set up for the row. And But I will be documenting it all on my Instagram anyway. Um, Instagram is my 
preferred social media of like choice hate twitter fallen out of love with facebook so instagram is like the go-to uh, i keep a blog so i've kept a blog of all my travels um there's lots of information on there if anyone is thinking about hiking there's uh uh, a day-by-day documentation of the PCT northbound and southbound and the TA and the cycle across Australia and if you really want to read about me being sick for 20 hours I've written about my experience on uh, rowing across the ocean but also like please feel free to contact me drop me a DM I'll try and reply to every message that people send me I'm super happy to answer any questions happy to give any advice um, or if you just want to chat about something then you know that's cool too so yeah mason alexandra and my website is masonalexandra.com so super easy thank you so much for for coming on and and chatting <laughs> um i think we went over our yes we did go over our no worries uh, pre-planned time but but <laughs> i couldn't let you no, go without really asking you all these questions you. i'm really glad um, <laughs> put us in contact it's been it's been really nice yeah i don't know maybe while you're out on the West yeah, Coast, well, I think uh, I think she'll be up in Washington um, when I'm adventures. in California. Yeah, uh, at that time. But at that um, point. maybe if like they finish hiking, uh, we might be able to organize something, which would be awesome. But um, I don't I don't want to think about that too much in case it doesn't happen, because <laughs> yeah. I would love it to happen. It would be, it would be so cool. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure we will see yeah. each other again one day, whatever. Um, yeah, definitely. That that's one thing that I've noticed in we got kind of reading through all of your posts on on Instagram was there were a lot of times it felt like where you would run into people from different trails on different trails. Definitely. Yeah, I met some of my hiking friends on the AT uh that I met from the PCT um and that was so cool it's one of the coolest things is like be in a foreign country and then run into someone you know like in the middle of nowhere you're like hey it's so I love it every time I'm like this is so cool and um there's a lot there's been a few times actually where I've been in a random town in the middle of nowhere and someone's been like hey puff puff and I'm like hey and like i don't know i just i find it strange every time like walking down the street and someone can know you but that's the hiking community and that's great and that's what i love about it it's so great and like it's so connected and people are so happy to help you out and you know i've put a post on social media about needing a bear canister for the stairs you know there's no point in me buying one i don't live in america there are no bears over here um and, and already I've had like three people come back to me like, yeah, yeah, you can have mine and stuff. So, and it's great. And one of the funny things about the trail is that sometimes often it's the people you meet only very briefly, only for a few minutes. You cross paths with like a southbounder when you're going northbound. And we, I, I mean, it's, I use the term friend. I mean, I guess, mm-hmm. I guess we are friends, I guess, but it, I mean, it's a very kind of social media based friendship, but it's still a friendship. And, you know, it's lovely when people comment on your posts and you know they remember you and they send you a direct message and said oh I saw this and it made me think of you or you know and you've only you know you really had a a brief encounter with them um and you're you're still friends and I think that's it's so lovely um and you can catch up keep up with their lives and as much as I on one hand really hate social media for all of the reasons we discussed and you know the 
the you know all that kind of stuff it's so great for keeping in contact with people that you would otherwise have no means of keeping in contact with you know just a, a brief yeah. meeting on a on a trail with a southbounder they could walk on and i would never ever be able to find them ever again in in a million years but you with all these weird connections through social media like hey that's so and so and and now now you're connected which is which is brilliant and i love it for that so yeah i love i love the hiking community yeah it's pretty amazing and i've had many people say to me that the conversations that you have out there particularly if you're traveling with somebody for an extended period of time or for that matter even a couple of days um, are more real and raw and vulnerable. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of people say you can be whoever you want to be on the trail. So, you know, there are there aren't those kind of preconceived ideas, and you know, you're not necessarily so worried about what people think because you know they've known you for a long time or whatever, or you know they are in the same social circle as you. Um, you can just go and be honest mm-hmm. with people and and the great thing is is that most people are out there for a similar reason they're out there to do the same thing so you already have a bond straight away right. you have a bond from the fact that you're out there doing the same thing um and that's great so um yeah you kind of you bond and make friends with people a lot quicker on the trail than you do in the the real world definitely in inverted commas there um but yeah, you have that instant instant reason to connect and reason to talk to someone. And yeah, I, I think although you can be whoever you want to be, so you could make up a whole personality com- completely, it, I think there is the ability to be more yourself on the trail rather than feel the need to be to pretend to be someone you're not. You're in a space where you feel much more comfortable to be yourself, which I think is really nice. Just yeah. be you. Try. <laughs> Try and be the best you. <laughs> Show notes and links for Alex's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Alex for sharing her stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, we'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.